it's always nice like making sure the quietest person in the room's okay or noticing body language noticing if someone's finished with their food or just all those little things that make a restaurant special that x factor it doesn't cost any money it just it's just caring doesn't cost any money to care Sometimes restaurants are as much about the communities that they serve and the pride they instill as the food that they serve. Today, our guest is John Chinsami. He's the owner of Munchies in Berwick on the outskirts of Melbourne. Just a really beautiful place with so much heart and banging food. John, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks for having me, Danny. It's great to have you on the show. Um, I've been trying to get you on for a while, but I think you really needed me to come out to Munchies to feel the vibes before you'd come on for a chat. Am I right? Yes. I appreciate (laughs) that. Thank you so much. Like, I truly do feel like um, we have that kind of business that has this huge online following um, and then, like, a huge local support. But um, just, like, people from the industry, like, you know, people like you – I really wanted, um, definitely wanted you to come down. And like, I know I've been like on your case about it, but thank you. And I really appreciate it. Well, I mean, thank you for making, thank you for doing what you do and giving me that place to come to, because I think it's really special. Um, For people who really don't know much about Munchies or maybe have seen stuff on Instagram, but haven't visited, give us the lowdown. What's Munchies all about? So Munchies is a small takeaway shop in Southeast Melbourne. Um, we open only four nights a week. We open late night, uh, mainly to serve our own community and the young people and the shift workers. And it was really just looking for something that our area needed and that was cheap, affordable, cook to order, really good quality late night food and understanding like the difference it makes when you serve communities that aren't usually used to someone really, really trying to serve them amazing food. Well, for people who don't know Berwick, put us in the picture there. Okay, Berwick's in southeast Melbourne. It's probably about 45 minutes out from the city. Um, It is quite a suburban area. Like, we've got a lot of people that live out here, but it's just like middle Australia, the middle of suburbia, it is quite progressive. We are trying to get um, a bit more progressive, but it's the suburbs. It's um, it's something that we love and it's it's where most people live, you know? Yeah, totally. Let, let's be realistic. You know, most people are, are living in the suburbs and, uh, you know, why shouldn't there be quality everywhere? I mean, I always do find it weird, you know, um, there's this idea that the inner city has got great food and then the regions have got great food, like as soon as you hit, um, you know, the country is supposed to be beautiful food in country towns. Why is the food in the middle supposed to be crap? Yeah, that's the thing. And, like, that's what gets me really confused because there's a small portion of restaurants in the city, in the inner city, and then there's a small portion of restaurants that are in our regional areas, which are all amazing. But then you've literally got, like, that other, like, 90% of restaurants that are in the suburbs, Um that our families, there are amazing cooks in the suburbs, but I think just that stigma, but also that, um, that idea that you have to be in like really, really nice places to be able to get good food. 
Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, what I love about Munchies is you drive along the highway, there's all the fast food chains, like literally all of them, and then you go, uh, yeah, like like a showcase, like an expo of fast food, and then you go around the back past the shisha joint and the pub and there's Munchies and it's instantly got a vibe. It just really feels like it's it's serving and honouring the community that's there. It's, like, super diverse. It's it's not um yeah it's not white australia it's it's all it's like all the people that are here and have come here and um you know growing um building their lives here um and yeah i found it found it really welcoming and yeah i just loved the feeling um tell me about the community that you've built around the restaurant you know in the staff and the people that come there um it was something that was unintentional it was definitely, I, when I first started Munchies, I definitely knew the type of uh, clientele that I was, well, it's not that I knew, I was just like expecting a completely different kind of clientele. But then when sort of young people or um, people that look just like me started gravitating towards the shop, I I actually knew like the type of energy that I was sort of putting out there um, because everyone's got to eat. Like it doesn't even matter like who you know or if you know the chef or you follow like a bunch of pages that tells you where to eat. Um, like it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter like what you look like. Um, there is places that you can just sort of come and feel welcome and not feel intimidated and be looked after. And when you hit that like – when you can like tick that box for a lot of people, like they're going to support you forever because they feel that support. They feel that acceptance. And like a lot of restaurants you go to, you actually don't feel that because people are so used to serving like seasoned diners that know how to eat out, that do understand, you know, how uh, Italian restaurants menus written or, um, a wine list is written. And then when you don't understand those things, like you still got to eat, like you still love to go out and eat. Um, and we do something really special and in a way that we can make those people feel welcome. Well, how do you do that? Because there's no generic way to serve people. Like sometimes like you can read someone who's arrived for the first time or someone who may not understand um, everything that's written on the menu. And you can't, um, you have to communicate in a certain way to do that. And these are things that I learned working in fine dining. Um, but then I do feel like that message gets lost after we just constantly just are serving people who are really educated in dining out. Yeah, so it's like you've kind of become the, those codes that there are like, you know, what antipasto means or what is what is bestoma. Like it's like you become, they become invisible to you because you're just embedded in them all the time. But for someone who's coming to um, that particular dining experience for the first time, it might be really intimidating and opaque and mysterious. Is that sort of what you're saying? Exactly. And it's really, really easy to make someone feel not welcome when you make them feel like they don't understand. And that is such a huge thing about going out to eat. Like it's more than just 
um, going to go get food somewhere. It's about dressing up. It's about traveling. It's about making the time to spend the night with someone you love. And when you arrive somewhere, like you want to feel welcome and things like that, actually, it doesn't cost us, it doesn't cost any business, any extra money. It's just being aware of, um, that everyone that walks in could be completely different and they do require like maybe a little bit of bit more communication or a bit less communication or just something, just something to be like, welcome to my table. Like everyone's welcome here. Well, tell us, John, about the food that you serve. The food that we serve, it's very, very approachable food. I hadn't cooked professionally prior to Munchies. I worked in a lot of nice places and, and got a lot of great experience but I definitely wanted to do a menu that I could pull off really, really well and a menu that would be really, really approachable to my community. Um, so things like burgers and sandwiches, burritos, tacos um, and wings. So there are main items. We cook everything fresh every single day. I do spend about eight to nine hours prepping each day. That's why we open at 5.30 each night. And you really do taste the difference. So like when our customers know that we're putting a taco in the menu, it's going to be done properly or it's going to be done in a way that people are going to get their money's worth or people can get excited about it. Um, so it is, it's really simple, approachable food. Um, I've only got a fryer and a hot plate here. So we do the most with those two bits of equipment. Um, yeah, that's the food. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the staff because I know that, you know, the way that you employ people and nurture them is a, is a really big part of the Munchies project. Yeah, we've had a lot of staff work over the last five years here. Um, the main mission was sort of to hire uh, people that were local and young with no experience and truly like build them up and like give them a place where they can come and work and get a really, really great reference and like go off into the world with like a whole bunch of skills. Like they don't have to work in food forever. They don't even have to have a passion for food. Like, but when you can grow, groom someone to like teach someone how to learn um, and then they start feeling that sense of achievement, like it is something really, really special that um, can stick a lot more like outside of school. Like when you're doing it, when you're working with someone you admire or you're working in a business that you love, um, you can definitely take more than just the passion for food from it. And so would you take a lot of kids that this is their first job, for example? Yeah, most of my staff, it is their first job. Um, most of my staff have had quite tough upbringings um, or like survive their own little battles, personal battles and things like that. And they are like, there are so many good people out here that just needed that, that chance because like, I don't really care if you got a license or not. I don't care if you got experience or not. We can always start somewhere and there is like a place for everybody in a food business. So, I mean, I feel like this philosophy must be coming from somewhere, John. Like, tell us a bit about yourself, your own upbringing and, you know, how or whether you felt like you belonged. I definitely didn't feel like I belonged, but I definitely felt um, that I had a passion for food and drinks and bringing people together. Um so I started out working at Fountain Gate 
at a restaurant and I had a really, really great time there. I did end up getting fired, um, but I used that experience to constantly keep getting better jobs and better jobs. Um, and that was this huge dream of mine, but it was actually like the biggest nightmare that like I could have imagined. Like I actually like stopped working in restaurants for a couple of years after that. Um, just realizing also what it takes to work at that level, but then also realizing like what staff have to endure working at that level. And this is that time when like no one had like been sued for millions of dollars for underpaying their staff yet. So it did really traumatize me and I couldn't, I couldn't understand why when you work at such a high level, you seem to matter less. Like all of a sudden I went from being like John to like, um, people like knowing me by my employee number. Um, do you know, but like, this is something that's really common and because of the color of my skin, I am, and this is a terrible thing that was happening. And that was like, visa workers didn't get treated that good. Visa workers didn't get treated good at all. And we were expected to like, let's say we do eight, eight to 10 hours work. And all of a sudden we're about to finish our shift. And then we get told we have to set up because there's a wedding tonight at the botanical gardens. And we've got no choice, but to like put in like another five, six hours. And all those things really made me hate the food industry and the restaurant industry. And especially when you aspire to like start working in really, really good restaurants. Um, I don't think that, I think a lot of people are still dealing with that trauma, especially if you haven't got like a good position, like, like we are all front of house. We're all service workers on $45,000 a year contracts. Um, so it just really, really made me hate hospitality and a lot of people need to talk about it. And I would love to like find out what happened to like all my friends that I worked with from Malaysia and from Nepal and Bangladesh. So, cause John, you mentioned visa workers and also the color of your skin. Like you, you're, you weren't here, you're not here on a visa, but are you saying because you're brown skinned that you were sort of um, lumped in with some of these people that were on temporary visas and, and that, Altogether, you were treated differently. Yeah, and I don't want to say it in a way that, like, um, they're lower than me. I'm saying like, none of us should have been treated that way. Yeah, I would love to know uh, what, where all those folks are as well. Because, like, I don't need to... Um, I don't need to watch what I say anymore in fear of my career, Danny. I mean, it's amazing that you had what was a pretty, sounds like a pretty battering and disillusioning experience. And yet you still found a way through to work in food. I mean, what was it about hospitality or about the world of feeding people that uh, kept you going? Um, essentially I took two years off to start teaching hospitality. So I was teaching certificate three and four hospitality to Melbourne uni students. 
um, and Swinburne Uni students. So students that just wanted to do like a quick Cert 3-4 to learn how to make coffee and get their RSA and their RSG and then they can go off and like try find part-time work while they study. In that time, I was able to really, really like instill like a lot of great values that I believed in with all the young people that were learning hospitality. And it definitely gave me time to fall in love with the industry again because I started like not working in the industry. I just started enjoying the industry, going out to eat or spending time with people or discovering like new little restaurants and really stepping away from that big, big like corporate side of hospo. And is that sort of when the vision for Munchies started to percolate? Uh, Kind of. It did make me want to start doing front of house again, which that's my favourite position. Like I never looked as front of house as a little part-time job or anything. Like I I do look at myself as a hospitality professional and a lot of people, they they do take a lot of pride in, in the service that they can offer guests and and the knowledge that we have and being able to, there's such a huge skill in being able to um, portray that the, the exact message that chef wants about that dish and we can take it from the past and, and completely, you know, finish that message when we drop it off to the guest table. Mm. That's such a huge skill, yeah? Oh, it's like absolutely. It's, it's I mean, it's the... It, tie, it ties the whole hospitality experience together. It's it's absolute, absolutely crucial. Yeah, because that that 24 hours that um, chef spent on that dish, um, it's going to get lost. Yeah, it's so interesting <laughs> that you're, um, you know, yeah. I mean, how do you relate that to what you do at Munchies? Like is it how do you how do you feel like you're infusing that sort of hospitality um ethic into what you do there at Munchies? It's all the things. I feel like there are so many things that make restaurants amazing that don't require any money to be spent. Building rapport with your customers. I think it's so important to make the quietest person in the room feel special instead of the the loudest person with the most followers. Because that person doesn't get that type of like attention or whatever, wherever they go, it's going to mean so much to them. And it's not even on like a business perspective. It's like a human perspective. It's always nice, like making sure the quietest person in the room's okay or noticing body language, noticing if someone's finished with their food or just all those little things that make a restaurant special. That X factor, it doesn't cost any money. It just, it's just caring. It doesn't cost any money to care. I guess what I'm hearing from you is that you can also do that in different ways at any level of hospitality. At any level. Because there are, and even you know that yourself, like there are some of the most like unassuming places that you end up feeling like home. Yeah. Well, speaking of home, John, tell us about, you know, food in your family. Um, what was what were some of the culinary threads running through your upbringing? Um, I was born in Fiji. My family, so, yeah, a whole lot of Indians got sent to Fiji 
uh, about 150 years ago as slaves. And essentially they were promised um, a ticket home and they never got one. So Fiji has this huge Indian population there. Um, so I did grow up, I was born in like a little village and a village where there was a few houses on the compound and I had a million people look after me as a child. Um, everyone like made sure that like my siblings and I were okay. It was just that village lifestyle. And in 1992, we migrated to Australia, to Dandenong and that was a huge culture shock for me. But I think the most consistent thing definitely was the food. My parents are amazing cooks. Like, I'm not just saying that. So my mum and dad had a, a food cart in Fiji. So every morning at like three, four o'clock, my parents would wake up and cook a whole bunch of food that they had pre-ordered from the night before. And my dad would take that cart into the city and sell it to all the office workers. So like raw teas and curry and sweets and samosas and idlis and just all our Indian snacks. They took a lot of pride in their work. Like my mom worked, my mom worked up until the day she gave birth to me. Like she just was sent to the hospital and the next day I was born because like they work hard and they didn't know any better. Um, my grandparents did have one of the first Fijian Indian restaurants in Dandenong in the early, late eighties, early nineties. Um, that was really like doing really well and they shut it down and re uh, retired. Um, but yeah, I did grow up with food. I grew up with really, really great cooks in my house. My siblings are great cooks as well. Um, as a youth, like we weren't really allowed to go out that much, but we were always allowed to have our friends over. So my parents will cook up a feast and cook, you know, curry and biryani and samosa and all the foods that like we grew up with. And it kind of really helped us at school as well because then like all our friends like tried all our foods and they were like talking about it at school. And then it doesn't seem like it's not easy talking about curry in primary school. No one, no one is interested in curry. <laughs> <laughs> but then if they come over and they have something super tasty, then they can think about it a bit differently. They can't believe it. They're just like, what is this that I'm eating? Like, I need more of this. So I did love that. Yeah. So I guess you had this idea of, of food being a way of, of connecting and communicating across culture right from a very early age. Yeah, because, like, that's what our families do. And, and most families around here, like, no one can afford to, like, go out every week. And, like, everyone's got, like, five, six kids. Like, no one can afford to go out to eat every week. But when we cook at home, like, I feel like like they cook enough for, like, 30, 40 people, like, every hood family. Like, it's just, like, one of those things where that's, like, most – that's probably the highlight of our day most days, coming home and eating. Yeah. I mean, when I hear you say that, it, it just it does strike me that – it must have been very 
jarring to 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 make it to the pinnacle of hospitality and yet it was so much less hospitable than what you'd grown up with yeah it wasn't it because like we shouldn't always be privileged we feel privileged to work somewhere good that is you know good for our career or good for our resume and then have to just endure a bunch of bullshit like it shouldn't be that way um I like, I'm sure I did get paid out back pay and things like that. Like, I don't want to say, like, deny that. But that trauma, a lot of people still carry with them. Like, a lot of people still carry it. And that's why we don't look at hospitality as this, like, this beautiful, like, you know, like we don't look at it in such a naive way anymore because like we have been in the front line and I've never really been a boss anywhere. Like I've been like front of house or dishes or all them essential positions that are important. Um, it does leave like this really weird taste in our mouth where it's like, I love what I'm doing and I get to create and I get to get that gratification by like making people happy and, but then like the business side of it, it doesn't, it dehumanizes us. It definitely does. And then, so now when I look at businesses that use, you know, like an inclusive environment and like all those like things that like uh, should be expected, like that should be expected, they shouldn't be like some sort of marketing tool now to, be like oh hey we're not like that because like a lot of restaurants still are like that like I can I moved to Fitzroy a few months ago and if I walk into a restaurant that I know I get if they know me because of like Instagram um, I get treated too good whereas like I don't like that sort of treatment and then if we walk into a restaurant where they don't really know us, then I know exactly how I'm getting treated. And that is not very nice. So when these things happen and they happen very, very often, uh, people like us have a very, very different experience in Melbourne hospitality, especially in the inner city. Yeah, I mean, it's this sort of takes me back to we did a couple of weeks on Dirty Linen on anti-Asian racism and one of the people that we chatted to spoke about the way she was treated as, as an author and her husband, an Asian couple in a restaurant and how she felt that she was being treated very differently um, from white people around her, I suppose. And I'm telling you, and this is this is for all the white people, like you can like like talk to everyone the same. Like you can, like don't feel intimidated or don't feel like you're um, disrespecting someone by dumbing it down for them because they don't understand. Like people would appreciate that too. So it is that fact that if there's such a generic way to communicate on, at a high level of hospitality that it's actually like you, you guys just sound like robots to the other 99% of us now. Like just because you're not someone that I will, like we wouldn't hang out on the weekends together. Like you're a hospitality professional too, just like me. And I know how to talk to a bunch of different people differently. 
and still portray that same message and respect. So you're saying, you're basically saying be respectful? Is that what, is that what you're saying? Yeah, or like just like stop, like, um, like slow down. Slow down and have a look around my brother, my sister, like slow down because when you actually slow down and like assess the room, you're going to see a bunch of amazing people in your business and, and you are just as worthy that you, you are worthy. Like everyone in here respects you for like being, being in this room and serving us and giving you your time and your efforts. So like, like, front of house matters. So like you shouldn't have to feel intimidated or to talk to people that don't look like you because everyone's got to eat. Everyone's got money. Everyone likes to get dressed up and take their, go out with their friends or their partner and have the best time ever. So it actually wasn't really hard for me to be like, oh, hey, like to realize what we were doing different. And that was regardless if it is like an elderly person or if it's a 12-year-old with a bunch of coins, like you can show that both those sides, the most amazing service. Mm. So I suppose, you know, as you're speaking, I'm feeling like, you know, part of the Munchies project is that feeling seen and just approached like with respect um, is just a baseline for you. Um yeah, because the way you talk, the way you write your menu, the way you price your menu, that determines the people that you want in your business. And conversely, I guess it can also be a message of exclusion. Exactly. It does exactly say who you don't want in there either. So, I mean, you've you've put out a little bit of a, a manifesto and a message, but, I mean, how else do you think um, hospitality could do better? I think all those beautiful things that I'm talking about that like inclusion, acceptance, respect, like just taking the time to educate diners, um, they're all amazing normal things that hospitality should have always been doing. So sometimes it doesn't matter like what someone looks like or if it's their first time or if they have no clue or they don't even know how to order. Um, we just got to be better in that way. It's not a marketing tool. It's not, it's not a way to make your restaurant look like better or more work than anyone else. Because like they're the ones that end up making those mistakes and like looking even worse and, it like really affects like the people that want to support you. Yeah. I want to, let's just, I just want to change gears a little bit and talk about wings, which I feel is not even ch changing gears. It's actually all about it. Cause wings are like very leveling. Don't you reckon as a food? The yeah. Chicken wings, like the humble wing, like it's, um, it's messy. There's so that they can be so much flavor. Um, it's something that you're going to share. Like, tell me why wings are such a big part of your menu and, and why, you, why you love them so much. Wings only started out on our menu as like a little six, six wings add-on um, if you wanted to get like rice or chips or a burger. Like, you can just get a quick, quick six-piece. And then 
we started doing a 10 piece in chips. And then I actually realized like, I'm, I'm a restaurant in the hood. Like all the only thing people are ordering is wings. It's so accessible. Like it is the best part of the chicken. I'd say the wing, the neck is very close second, but a chicken wing, especially a wingette, a wingette is almost 50% like skin to meat ratio. It's the perfect bite. So we decided to start doing a 20 piece. And then once we went into lockdown, we started doing a 30 piece, a 40 piece, 50 piece, 100 piece. And it kind of just took off that way. Like we do 14 different flavors. You can get dry rub wings. You can get saucy wings. You can get plain wings. You can get it with chips, rice on its own. And just like one of like my little like favorite little pleasures has ended up like turning it like we've sold a million wings already, Danny. (gasps) Oh, my God. Did you like blow streamers and have a party? Nah, nah. It was just like one day we decided to count. So, and we sold a million wings last year. Ah. So. What a milestone. So I feel like wings is like wings kind of says it because it's like how did chicken breast get to be like prestige and more like dining when yeah, the the skin to meat ratio is all wrong. There is no flavor. You're not sharing it. Like what about the wings? Bro, I serve chicken breast too. Like have you seen that that vein inside that chicken breast? Ew. Like I have to- I have to deal with that, butcher that every day. A chicken wing is perfection, fried to like a golden brown. And like, we don't do nothing to it. I think the magic is that we cook them to order from raw. It does take a lot of time. Sometimes we do have like a two hour wait and people are like, they just go outside and sit down. um, But cooking them to order, getting them delivered fresh, um, I've got a really, really good halal supplier um, and they are able to deal with like our numbers. Like last week we done something like almost 200 kilos of wings and they're able to like give it to me in like one day's notice. So shout out to my supplier, Poultry and More. (laughs) Yeah, thanks guys. Yeah, but cooking them to order and sourcing them properly and like I got it, like I'll let you guys know the secret. So I do like a melted butter, like bind, like melted butter with Frank's hot sauce. It is my favorite wing. There's nothing better than that. Maybe close second would be like a fish sauce wing, but I don't do either of those flavors because I just feel like no one orders any other flavor, but we've got 12 flavors. And the secret is we cut them with whole egg mayo instead of butter. And then you just get like a whole nother vibe. Like a glazed kind of vibe? Yeah. So whatever sauces, like let's say if it's a a Munchies OG hot wing. So that's mixed with our hot sauce and a little bit of mayo and mix it up in the bowl and you literally get the perfect glaze. I feel like I've stolen that from somebody, but like it's the one. It's the one. So if you're going to make wings at home, all you got to do is like cook your wings up, but cut it, try cut it with mayo instead of butter every now and then, and you're going to lose your mind. 
<laughs> I love it. Um, John, it's been so great to chat to you. I'm thrilled. It's a real milestone for me that I've got you on this podcast. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say to the Dirty Linen crowd? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to give a couple shout outs. So I want to give a shout out to all my staff, shout out to my family, shout out to shout out to my missus. Thank you for helping me and like helping me realize my full potential. Shout out to the hood, uh, shout, massive shout out to Oh My, shout out to all my friends in Fitzroy, shout out to everyone in Fiji. Uh, pull up to Munchies soon. I appreciate y'all. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. I absolutely love it. All right. I will see you back there soon. Oh, there's so much on the menu I still need to try. Thank you for making the time today. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.